Good morning, brothers. And let me uh, say, Russ, thank you for that encouragement to all of us and encouragement about the Lord. And um, Russ is a dear brother in the Lord to me. And though um, I know he, along with all of us, long to be in heaven, um, but I am thankful, at least for selfish reasons, that God decided to, uh, to leave Russ with us for a while, because at least for me, uh, great encouragement uh, he has been in the last couple of years, so thankful for that. And I am thankful, as, as Russ said, for James being here. James, why don't you wave at us so we can see where you are? We don't, can't see you behind the piano there thing. Um, very grateful for James' ministry among us, yeah. James came to, uh, to Memphis and to Second Presbyterian Church through our Fellows Program, which is, if you don't know, a program for college graduates uh, to come to be uh, mentored, uh, both in uh, biblical Christian worldview uh, and also in understanding their Bibles, uh, mentored in their, their chosen field of work, also mentored just in soft skills, relationships, team building, conflict resolution, um, really an incredible program. Uh, that was started many years ago up in Virginia. And we at Second and Memphis have been blessed because most of these fellows who come here, spend a year here, a lot of them just end up staying here and end up serving us in the city. And so it's, we're very grateful for that. By the way, if you have any sons or grandsons or friends that uh, are looking for a great place for their college graduate to land, this is an excellent place for them to land here in Memphis. Uh, the Memphis Fellows Program. Love for you to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at these last verses that we have before us. And as you may have noticed, if you read ahead of time, um, brothers, we have got a lot of work to do this morning. Um, this passage is packed full. Uh, you know, my, my, uh, my favorite preacher that I talk about a lot, Alistair Begg, um, when he did this series for his church back in, I think, 1985, the verses that we're going to look at today, I think he did nine sermons on just those verses. Uh, so he was no help to me um, because I was like, I, there's, you're saying too much and this isn't going to be any good for me at all. Um, but I do love what we have before us. Uh, and though we have a lot of work to do today, I thought to myself, you know what's beautiful? The men of Amen, they can handle it. They're here for work. They're here to look and dig in, into these scriptures and they can, they can digest these things quickly. The other thing I want us to notice, though, before I read, because we're going to be reading these final instructions, which is just a staccato of imperatives that Paul gives. He's saying to these Thessalonian, this Thessalonian church that he's only, he's only been with for three to maybe four weeks, that he's, been, that he's spent time with them, and now he's getting the opportunity to write them. And he has these instructions based on, after addressing the theology of their life in Christ and the return of Christ, some of the concerns he has, he now encourages them with actions that are based on their relationship with Jesus. And that's important for us to understand because all of us, whether you are in the church of Thessalonica or you're here this morning, our tendency is one, like we said last week, to skip past, to go from the knowing, what we know about God, and go straight to the doing. And then create this contractual relationship with God that's just based on a set of rules or a set of imperatives and to miss the being part. But if we look at the context here in the ch chapter that we have before us or the verses that we have before us, you'll notice that it's after, it's right after verses 
uh, 9, uh, 10, and 11 that he goes into these instructions. So in Paul's mind, and it needs to be in our mind as well, Paul is thinking of these things in terms of verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. It's in Paul's mind that the things he's about to tell them, the commands he's about to give them, are based on their already established relationship in Christ. This isn't so that they can have a relationship with Christ. It's not even necessarily so that God would love them more. It, it, it will help them understand that they are loved. They will, they will enjoy the benefits of that relationship. But clearly Paul is stating the relationship is established. And now, and now from here, we're going to go ahead and talk about the commands, these, these, uh, these directions in your life. So just like we said last week, when Paul is asked the question regarding the return of Christ, his answer doesn't start with activity. His answer starts with identity. And same thing here. As we look at these imperatives, and there are many of them, you can see um, the, the notes are a little more extensive because there's, there's stuff here we cannot miss. But the point is this. Paul begins these things with, his, with our identity in verses 8 and 9 and, uh, 9 and 10. And then out of our identity, Becomes, uh, comes this activity. So let's read 1 Thessalonians. I'm actually going to start us in verse 11, even though we used that last week, because I want us to see that these things are connected. So verse 11, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, uh, excuse me, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See to it that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from evil, from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I've put these imperatives for us, or this passage, and most of it are imperatives, in four different categories, as you see in your notes. And the first category has to do with responding to our spiritual leaders. This is about our spiritual life. I've entitled it using the very phrase um, that's there in verse 18. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And we saw the, him, uh, Paul say the same thing in chapter 4, uh, verse 3. He says, for it is the will of God, your sanctification. So it is God's will. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You want to know what God's will for you in the context of, of the church, the family, your own spiritual life? Here we have a good chunk of that, a good understanding of what God's will is for us. So first of all, he talks in verses 12 and 13, tells this, these Thessalonians how to respond, how they should respond to their pastors and to their elders. 
uh, how they respond to their spiritual leaders. Some of you may know or be aware of these statistics that there has been a massive uh, uptick in the amount of pastors in the United States who are seriously considering leaving the ministry. And this has occurred just in the last two years. Uh, Barna, the statistics in, in uh, January of 2021, uh, 29% of all pastors in the United States were seriously considering leaving the ministry. Not just leaving their church, leaving the ministry, leaving full-time ministry. By December, so, uh, excuse me, by November, so just last year at this time, by November of 2021, that had jumped to 38%. 38% pastors uh, in America seriously considering leaving the ministry. By March, that had jumped to 42%. Barna has not run the statistics, but I think they will be uh, here soon. Um, but as you can see, um, what has always kind of hovered at maybe a... Uh, 25% just because of those struggles has all of a sudden in the last two years has just gone like this. Now there's a lot of reasons for this. We won't, won't go into that this morning. If you want to know, there's some great articles that explain that. One in the New York Times that appeared in August that really explained uh, or delve into the question of why pastors are leaving uh, the ministry or desiring to leave the ministry and leaving the ministry at such high rates. Um, but the call for us here, and some of you are thinking like my wife was thinking when she found out what verses I was going to be teaching. She says, well, that's kind of self-serving, Todd. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can't skip over it. Uh, so let's do this this morning. Let's do this this morning. Forget about Todd. Honestly, I'm doing okay. I'm not seriously considering leaving uh, the ministry. And I have been blessed um, by some great friends in this church who, who continually encourage me in the Lord and by uh, God's work in my life. Um, I'm not at that place right now, uh, so forget about me. Don't worry about me. I'm good right now. But I do know, I do know a lot of my friends uh, who are in ministry here in the city, who are in ministry in other cities, who are really struggling, who really feel like their work is just too hard. It's just too much. Um, the complaints are too great. The conflicts are too great. The disappointment is too great. And the work is just uh, too hard. So what is the call for us as, as followers of Christ in this church and in the other churches that are represented in this room? Paul says here that we are to uh, respect, esteem them in love, and be at peace in our churches. Notice that he says that the, the labor of the pastors or the pastor's work, three things you see in those verses, um, they are to labor and work. And you probably notice your pastor does a lot of work. I mean, he is, he is really, especially over, I don't know, watching some of my peers in ministry, they would say, I've never worked harder than I've worked in the last uh, two years, three years. Um, it has been an immense amount of work, particularly that point at which um, none of us knew anything about technology, and we didn't find that out in seminary, and all of a sudden, you know, we had to be online pastors. <laughs> um, I can't tell you, when we were doing Amen through, uh, uh, through video, Y'all, it was so much harder than doing this. Uh, and I had to finally stop. To, you know, I, I would go through like 20 takes. And I'm like, you got to stop this. I was going to take you all day long to do this. And it was just because we were incompetent. We weren't used to these things. But the work has been great. Those that work among you. Notice it says that they're over you in the Lord. And again, that's just the position that, the, that God has given them in the place in your church. And that they're to admonish you. Admonishment means this. To correct 
without, without embittering, without causing embitterness or provoking. That's a tough thing to do. That is a very tough thing to do, to correct without embittering or provoking. But that's the call of pastors. So what are we to do? First of all, we are to respect them. We are to give them respect. Give our pastors respect. I had an incredible example of this happen to me just a few months ago. Um, there was an older saint, uh, a couple in our church, uh, and uh, this older saint's um, wife had died. Um, this, this, this saint uh, is 91 years old. He's been a member of Second Presbyterian Church for 80 years. Um, this guy has seen a lot of pastors and a lot better ones than Todd Erickson. Um, and I, uh, um, uh, George, a senior pastor, was out of town um, that week, and somebody needed to go over and, uh, and see this man because his, his wife has just died. And I go over uh, to his house. He's got some family around him. Um, and this is a guy that deserves all of my respect, right? Like all of it. And again, he's seen a lot of pastors. And I'm pretty sure that he hasn't, that this guy hasn't always agreed with everything I have chosen to do or the, the decisions we made about what we might be doing in this church. And I walk into, I walk into that living room. And by the way, 91 years old, it's a little hard to get up off your couch too, right? Like it's not, you know, I, I feel like I need to walk in and just kneel in front of him and say, you know, how are you doing? That's, my, that's what I'm thinking. Instinctively, and it was one of the most humbling moments for me ever, he demanded that the people around him get him up. He got up, shuffled over to me, grabbed my hand and bowed down and said, thank you so much for being here, Pastor. I thought to myself, Wow. God, make, make me like that man. I did not deserve the respect that he gave me in that moment. I didn't. But here's, here's the key. That wasn't what was at issue. That wasn't what was an issue for this saint. What was at issue for the saint is this is what God's word says to do. So that's what I do. Ah, oh, I love that type of obedience, that kind of respect. Um, notice, too, it says esteem and love. I think this is important, esteem and love. This doesn't just mean that it, esteem, of course, means to honor. And, and there, it is hard to translate. Does it mean esteem and love when you look at it in the original Greek? Um, and I, I do like what Leon Morris says here, which is that the love part helps us, keeps us from understanding this as an esteem, as if they need to somehow be treated in a different category, uh, you know, in, in the way that, that sometimes different churches and hierarchies in the, in the past have done, as if they're a, as if they're a different category of, of human. No, it's saying that we esteem them in love. We honor them with our love. And both things are at play here, um, that we truly want to love them. And loving them, we're going to esteem them highly. And then, again, it's hard to know in the original text is that final phrase be uh, at peace among yourselves. Is it connected to verse 14? Is it a separate imperative? Or is it meant to be connected specifically to what Paul has just said about responding to your spiritual leaders? And again, I like what Leon, Leon Morris and even Alistair Begg say about this. I do, do think it makes the most sense that it would be connected to what Paul said because he's originally saying, hey, there's something I need to give these, these uh, Thessalonians about respecting their leaders, about esteeming them. And, and that, of course, would cause there not to be peace. And so he's saying, hey, put these things together and work to be at peace in the context of your church with your spiritual leaders. Great words, great challenges. And again, um, 
We just want to do this out of our obedience to Christ because we are his sons. Not because we're trying to become his sons. It flows out of that surety of who we are. So responding to our spiritual leaders. Next, the category, verses 14 and 15, caring for your spiritual family. I believe Paul switches here to talk now about how the congregation members would care for the people around them. And uh, verse 14 is such a beautiful verse. I had underlined this years ago because uh, what, a, what a great set of phrases there. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I do want us to notice before we dive into uh, those, um, those four uh, imperatives, I want you to notice that it says, I urge you, brothers. Certainly as a pastor, this kind of work is my work. But Paul is making it clear here as he talks, and he does it right after he talks about them respecting and esteeming and love their spiritual leaders. I want you to notice that he makes the point of saying, brothers, I want to urge you brothers. I want to urge you members of the congregation that what I'm about to say, that's not necessarily just the work of your pastor. It's our work. So it's not just the work of your pastor to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. It's the help of all of us here, all of you, uh, to do this work. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, admonish the idle. Here in the Greek, it, it, the, the word idle really refers to someone who's not, um, who's not joining in. It's a, it's a battle term, actually. Who's not equipped and joining in with the rest of the military force for the work that needs to be done. And what most scholars would say, this has to do with not those who not necessarily just weren't working, like general work, like weren't going to their jobs. What Paul is talking about here is those who aren't engaging in the life of the church. Those who are, who are kind of opting out of actually participating in the life of the church. And that's probably a good word for us here in 2022. Because haven't you noticed that since March of 2020, and as we come back, there seems to be a lot of people who call uh, themselves Christians who are opting out of participation in the work of the church. And as we came back after the pandemic, a lot of people just didn't come back. Now, in some ways, um, I've been okay with that because the, what has hit us in the South is something that hit places in the North and even in the West a lot earlier, which is uh, those who were just participating in Christianity because it was part of their culture up in the North and in the, south, uh, the West, they stopped doing that a long time ago, stopped faking it just to look like, okay. In the South, it was still kind of like, yeah, in order to be respectable, you need to at least say you belong to a church and show up every once in a while in order for that to happen. So maybe it's okay that during the COVID, during the pandemic, we at least, we at least all got to a place where we could be a little more honest. And it is a beautiful thing that when I look out in the congregation now, uh, I'm very thankful thinking, you know what? Pretty sure that everybody in this room, most people in this room, they want to be there. Nobody's doing this just to, just to fit in. Because that's kind of gone away. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thankful for that. However, however, there are those who are followers of Jesus. Um, and as you know, I've, I've talked to many different Sunday school classes and many different generations about this. Who are like, you know, I just, I'm really, it's really great watching online. It's really awesome. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know it is because we worked really hard to help you with that. 
right? Like, it's our fault as pastors. You know, it used to be at Second Pres that if you watched watch the, t- the, the service online, it was just like a camera in the corner, right? It was like you were kind of peeking in, looking in the room. And then during the pandemic, when everybody couldn't come to uh, worship, we worked really hard to help our congregation members worship in their living rooms. You know, so we made it really interactive and really helpful to, to, to lead in worship in, the, in, that, in that context. Um, we kind of feel like we can't just go back to the camera in the corner, but sometimes I think maybe we should go back to the camera in the corner. Nevertheless, I help, help people all the time tell me, gosh, Todd, you know, it's just, um, man, I just, I just love my chair. I just, I love my coffee. And I'm like, yeah, man, me too. Me too. I, that my, my ch- I love my chair, and I, it is much more comfortable than the pew. I promise that. <laughs> and my coffee, the coffee's good here, but my coffee, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I, uh, you know, some people are okay with the coffee in the sanctuary. Some people are not okay with the coffee in the sanctuary. Um, because there are some people that are not okay, I'm not bringing coffee into the sanctuary uh, as a staff member at Second. Um, but, uh, you know, when I'm at my, in my, my family room, nobody's judging me whether or not I'm having coffee. It's beautiful. Yeah, I get it, but that's not, that's, that's not best for my soul, my spiritual life. It's best for my spiritual life is to be present with the body of Christ. There's so much in Scripture that makes that very clear. So what are we to do, brothers? We are to admonish those who've opted out. Like, not the pastors, you guys. And remember, admonishment means to correct without provoking or embittering. It's a tricky task. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It takes wisdom. But it takes courage because you can't opt out of the admonish part just because you're wanting to not embitter and provoke. So we're called to do that. We're commanded to do that. Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted here, of course, and that's a great word, a great English word. Those who, who uh, have lost courage are disappointed are just feeling like this faith thing um, is, uh, is just not, um, you know, either they face suffering uh, that has caused them to wonder uh, if God really cares about them, um, or they're facing suffering in the midst of it and thinking, um, I, don't, I don't know how to pray, I don't know how to do this. Um, it's just those people that are, that are struggling with, with their faith, that are struggling with a sense of, of truly their heart is faint. Their heart feels like they, it can't handle it. Uh, and we're called uh, as brothers in Christ to come alongside each other, uh, to, to notice the faint-hearted, and to intentionally to go towards them to encourage them. And then it says to help the weak. And the weak here are those that just, um, just don't get it, um, who, who, whose faith has actually been not just just uh, is struggling, but is, is kind of shattered. Those in our church who, who are just feeling completely weak spiritually, we're supposed to help them. And the word help here in the Greek, ah, I love it. It actually is a word that means hold on to, to hold tightly to. So the command here is that we are supposed to see those in our churches who are weak in faith, and we are to go to them and hold on tightly to them. We are to not let them go. I even shared this with a brother the other day who was really weak in his faith. And I told him, because I've heard other older, wiser men in the faith 
say these same things. I told them, I said, hey, I know you can't seem to lean on your faith right now. Lean on my faith. Lean on mine. And let's walk together. And that's what I think is called to here. That you would even look at a brother and say, hey, just lean on my faith right now. Right? Let's just, let's just you and I walk together. And that you would hold on to them. And then, of course, what a great, I, I, the honesty of Scripture is just so beautiful. That last phrase, be patient with them all. Why does Paul have to say that? Because these are people that are really hard to be patient with. That's why. I mean, this, Paul's just like saying the obvious. It's really hard to be patient when admonishing the idle. It's hard to be patient when encouraging the faint-hearted. It's hard to be patient when you're holding on to the weak and you're wanting like, hey, come on, let's, get some, let's see some progress. Let's get in here. Let's go. And you think, gosh, I've been doing this for several weeks. And Paul says, be patient. Patient with them all. Patient with them all in the body of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 15, continues with these uh, imperatives. And he says in verse 15 that we are to, there's going to be no retaliation, no revenge taking among us. Um, and this is, uh, this is important. The whole, the whole call for us to admonish meaning to correct without provoking and without embittering. And then this call here of no retaliation. This is, I think, a very helpful thing for us in our context. Again, the outside world around us in America has gotten uh, less and less civil in its, in its interaction. And people are just drawing up sides and considering how to fight each other. I even was watching a, a news program a couple days ago, and the discussion on the news program was, okay, well, this political party, and I'll leave the names out, this political party seems to be fighting with throwing jabs and doing this. And then the other discussion is, should this political party go ahead and respond to that because this political party is throwing punches and getting stuff done, and maybe this party, if they're going to get stuff done, is going to have to start throwing punches. And I thought, what a dumb argument. <laughs> but you know what? That's just where we are. Here's what we got to guard against, brothers. That can't happen in our churches. We do not use the, we've talked about this. We do not use the world's tools for discussion, debate, and disagreement in the church. God's given us clear instructions on that. Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter, this is Sermon on the Mount. We did this when we studied Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And listen to the words of Jesus as he speaks about these things. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 38. Jesus says this, You've heard it said that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, also, turn to him the other also. And if anyone should sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse from the one who would borrow from you. You've heard it said, said, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What is the point uh, that, that uh, Jesus is making here? The point he's making here is that we need to lead with mercy and grace in conflict. It doesn't necessarily, there's plenty of places where we're called to correct, but it always says, or almost always calls us to correct with gentleness. And clearly, Paul and Thessalonians is saying, we do need to admonish, you do need to correct, you can disagree, 
But we're being called to always do that, leading with mercy and grace. Again, as we apply this to these things to specific situations, we have to be careful in recognizing our motives. And while I, I, I may be called as a Christian to defend, to defend your honor, I'm not necessarily seeing it in Scripture that I need to mount a great defense for my honor. I need to entrust that as we see in Psalms David doing. I'm going to entrust that to the Lord. I'm going to walk in obedience, but I'm not going to punch back. I'm going to trust revenge to the Lord. Now, I may, again, may be called to, uh, as a follower of Christ, to stand strong in order to protect your honor. But I've got to make sure that I'm leading with mercy and grace uh, when it's me at stake. That's, that's got to be where we, we pursue. And Paul is bringing this out. That's got to be our default. <laughs> Don't repay evil for evil. And then he goes on. But seek to do good. And actually, it would have been a better word to translate. It would have been better translated kindness. Seek to be, and Paul does this in several other places. Seek to be kind to one another. And then he adds to everyone. <laughs> seek to be kind to the brothers. But seek to be kind to everyone. I love how Paul says it in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. This is about correcting your enemies, those who are against you. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Listen to what Paul writes here. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So we're talking about some serious things that need to be dealt with. And in these serious things, Paul makes the point, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Paul here again, when he's talking to the Thessalonians, he's saying, let's make sure that you do not repay evil for evil. Evil's going to happen to you. Do not respond with retaliation. Do not respond with the world like the world, but lead with mercy and grace. And make sure that you're being kind, you're doing good to the brothers, to the, to the family of God. And he says, to everyone, even those outside the church, that you would seek that kind of leading. That would be your default, to lead with mercy and with grace. That's caring for the spiritual family. Let's look at number three, living the spiritual life. Living the spiritual life. Here again, we have some uh, great verse, verse 16. I have it in my Bible underlined years ago. Rejoice always, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's unpack that a little bit. Always rejoicing, always rejoicing. I do like what Alistair Begg says about this. He says, if you come across pers a person who just seems to struggle with having joy, I'm not going to be very convinced that they're walking tightly with the Lord. <laughs> he said, even people who are suffering, even people who are going through deep waters, when they're walking closely with the Lord, you'll notice they have joy. There is a joy in their life, even in the midst of suffering. I didn't get permission uh, to, uh, to mention this person's name, but there's a person in here whose spouse is really struggling through some deep 
health issues. And I have been blown away every time I approach this brother to say, how is your wife doing? How can I pray for you? With the amount of joy that he responds with. And I go, wow, that is a brother who's walking tightly with the Lord. Like he's walking closely because amidst this deep suffering and struggle, you can't help as even as he shares the prayer requests to express joy. And again, that, that points out what we know. Joy is not based like happiness is on circumstances. It's based on that what we find in the Lord. How do you even find this joy? How can you have this joy? This joy happens by walking closely, closely with the Lord. That's how you find it in the midst of, of all of that struggle. Always rejoicing. Always praying. Always praying. Sometimes we read this and we think, Oh, I just got to stop what I'm doing and pray more. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is that our, that our ongoing conversation throughout the day is not just with the voice in our head, but with the Holy Spirit that's inside us, right? So some of you uh, maybe are like me, and in, in your car, you do some talking. It's just you. You do some talking out loud, Right? And the question is, who, to whom are you speaking? And I would say, if you're a follower of Christ, go ahead and have that conversation with the Holy Spirit. Continue to talk in your car. Continue to express how you feel about the driver in front of you. Just express it to the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? Not just a thought by yourself. That's what it means. What am I saying? What is Paul saying? It's the presence of God constantly with us. Like that old, old, old book by Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God. And he talks about how as a, as a monk there washing dishes by himself, he began to understand, no, I'm not by myself. I'm here in the kitchen washing dishes with my Lord, and we're going to have a conversation while I'm here. That's what it's talking about, always praying, is, and it's to, it's to practice that. Practicing the presence of God means, oh, yeah, again, going back to the car analogy, I'm not here alone, because you're not. The Holy Spirit's with you. So go ahead and, and acknowledge that. And that's who's with you in the car. So that's who's with you while you're sitting down to watch TV. When your wife's not there, it's just you. Uh, and your roommates aren't there, it's just you. And you're watching TV and you're, you're thinking out loud or you're laughing out loud. Do it with Christ. Do it with the Spirit. That's what it means to always be praying. Always be in conversation. The ongoing presence of God in our lives. Always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. How in the world do you do that? How do you, this brother I'm talking to, uh, others who are going through deep, deep trials, how are they always so thankful? I think it just comes down to this, brothers. I think when you finally get to the place where you're happy that you have Jesus and you truly don't need anything else, you can always give thanks. Amen. And that's where you got to be. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 73. And, and uh, the, the psalm starts out with, Surely God is good to those who are in Israel. And then he goes on and goes and looks. goes, But the good isn't happening to me. The good is happening to everybody else. He says, The other, the other, the other guy who isn't following God, they're, they're getting everything. I mean, they're rich. It even says they're good-looking, like their bodies are, are good-looking. And, and everybody listens to them, even though they're mocking you, God. 
Why? And then he says, I, certainly I have kept my, my faith in vain. Like I have, I've been following you. It's just been in vain that I have been following you. And then it says he, he didn't understand these things until he got into the house of the Lord. And then something changes. But it's fascinating what changes uh, in this. It goes from the beginning him saying, truly God is good. And at the end, he says at the very end, verse 28, but for me, it's good to be near God. What happened? Did his circumstances change? No. His perspective of what is good changed. He went from thinking God gives good things to thinking it's good to be near God. And see, brothers, if you have Christ, if, that's your, if he's your Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have Jesus. You have all you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else to go right. You don't need your health. You don't. In order to be thankful, that's what it takes. Having Jesus and saying to yourself, I got all I need right here. It's good to be near God. He goes on, after always rejoicing, always praying, always giving thanks, he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. I like the way he also says, he says this, some, something similar in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. We forget sometimes that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead and not an it. <laughs> and we forget that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because that, that you, know, you say, what does it mean to how do you quench the spirit? How could the spirit be quenched? How do you grieve the spirit? How could the spirit be grieved? I think we think like that because we are thinking contractually and we're thinking of the Holy Spirit as kind of a, a thing rather than thinking, oh no, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead who dwells in me. This isn't a contractual thing. This is a relationship. So, oh, now I get it. I can grieve the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example from my marriage. My wife is an amazing woman who has loved me through just some, some tough stuff. I mean, just living with me, that's a tough thing. And there have been times, many times, where what I have done, how I've sinned against her, has grieved her, has, has quenched the fire of, of our relationship. But here's the deal. It never changed the fact of our relationship. At no, no point was Lynn like, you know what, that's it. I'm done with you. She was more like, I'm not done with you, but you're a knucklehead and you got to get things straight. <laughs> but it's not, I'm not going to stop loving you. I'm not. And boy, you need love right now. But this is tough. I think when it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the fire, what it's talking about here is when we sin, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It quenches the work of the, the, the experience of this, this, that we get of the Spirit in our lives. Not because the Holy Spirit's changed, but because we're not choosing to experience it. It's saying, understand that the Holy Spirit in you is with you at all times. And that relationship can be awesome. And you can enjoy the fire of that. But when you choose to to pretend like the relationship doesn't matter, then we grieve, we quench that, and we don't get to experience. Again, the spirit hasn't changed. We're just not, we're not embracing what we could in that relationship. 
Next, not to, I know we're running close on time. I'm going to finish on time, I promise. Number, uh, next one, not despising the word. Not despising the word there. Do not, after not to quench the spirit, verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Why is he saying this? Probably, uh, scholars would say, because of that whole discussion that was taking place in the church about the second coming of Christ. Um, and again, remember, not all of the New Testament was written at this time. It was being written. And so that gift of prophecy, a word from the Lord, could truly be a word from the, from the Lord. And so there's this sense in which uh, you know, that's happening in the church. But then some people, it seems, are getting frustrated like, you know what, there's all this stuff. We're not sure which is right or which is wrong. I don't like any of it. It's all confusing. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> the Lord is working in your church. Don't, don't, be, don't throw everything out just because you're frustrated with it. Don't throw it all out. Instead, Paul says, don't despise the word that comes from God because sometimes men get it wrong. Instead, test everything. Don't throw it all out. Instead, test everything and hold on to what is good. Hold on to what is truth. Hold on to what you can verify in other parts of Scripture. And abstain from anything that's suggesting doing something that doesn't exist in Scripture. Either that's forbidden in Scripture um, uh, or that is not something that's really being encouraged in Scripture. Don't put yourself in a place where you are hearing a word in your church and haven't tested it. It's why, I, it's why I tell, when I preach, when our preachers preach, we start the whole thing. Why we do this here? Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. Why is that? You need to check my work. I need to be accountable. We need to be accountable together. You need to test what I'm saying. You need to hold on to what is good. And you need to abstain from anything that I would say that would keep you from doing the will of God. Uh, that's what Paul is saying here. That's living the spiritual life. And then finally, experiencing God's spiritual work. Isn't it beautiful that this whole thing begins, begins up there in verse 9 and 10 with Paul making it clear that you are not destined for wrath, but that God has set you apart to be his forever. And then it ends with these amazing verses, verses 23 and 24. May the God of peace, it's a prayer, it's a benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Here's the truth, brothers. God is the one sanctifying. Now we participate. He lets us participate. He calls us to participate in, his sanctif in the sanctification process. But God is the one who's doing that. God is going to work that in your life. In the same way that God was going to get Jonah to Nineveh, whether Jonah wanted it or not. <laughs> God is working sanctification in your life. And God is faithful. He's the one who's doing it. There's been a song that was sung by the music department uh, earlier this week on a Monday at our staff devotions. That's a song by C.C. Winan called The Goodness of God. And the, and the uh, chorus of that song uh, has just been kind of on repeat in my head because it's just beautiful truth from God's word. The chorus goes like this. Because all my life you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. 
with every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And what's been moving me is, again, the beauty for those of, those of you that are, that are my age and older, so 57 and older, you, you know, you, we've lived long enough to go, you know what? That's true. All of my life, God has been faithful. I haven't been, but he has. And all of my life, he has been so, so good. Didn't always understand the goodness. But more and more, I'm understanding his, his goodness, his patience with me, that he is sanctifying me, that this spiritual work is a work that he is doing. It's interesting to note that they found, uh, you know, years and years and years later, um, the grave markers in Thessalonica of Christians. And often the phrase that was stamped on the grave marker was from verse uh, 23. Kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) The exact words of this particular passage of Scripture stamped on those graves. Kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the surety for you. Brothers, let me pray for us. And let me pray this benediction that we have here that is so beautiful. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, Father, you who have called us, you are faithful. And you will surely do it. We make this prayer in the matchless name of our Savior who has secured for us not only our righteousness, but our eternity. It is in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, brothers.